Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here alongside my good friends and host of the Bucks Radio Network, host of Bucks Courtside Live, and the post-game show on, I don't know how many radio stations is on, whatever radio station that's on, ESPN Milwaukee, I know that for sure. It's Justin Garcia, and I can hear a little bit of action in the background, which is <laughs> actually kind of funny because it is literally 1 a.m. as we are recording this right now. You're still at Fiserv Forum. And for some crazy reason, you agreed to talk to me after this ridiculous, crazy game that the Bucks win 129-125 against the New Orleans Pelicans. It's, uh, it's weird that, you know, we've done these before where I'm inside the arena, but it, it was just me. And I think I told you, it feels like the scene from a horror movie where <laughs> it's such a big cavernous building and it's dark and there's nobody here. And you just grew used to that. And now... Uh, not only seeing fans here, but now, I mean, as I look out here, I can count maybe 25 to 30 employees of the arena that are still cleaning up after the game and wandering around the arena. So it is really strange to see people here in the building. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about this with Zora on the show yesterday and just the fact that the fans are in there. Uh, I think the quoted number on the TNT broadcast was 1,800 or maybe 1,600, somewhere around that mark. Um, but you know, it's fun. It's fun. As long as it's safe and, and everyone's, um, you know, safely be able to, to go to these games. And I'm just looking at the box score now. It does say 1800 and sellout next to it. Unbelievable. An 1800 sellout at Fiserv Forum. But this was one of the craziest games of the season, just purely from a back and forth perspective. The pace that this game was played at, some of the shot making, just the fact that you had Giannis v Zion out there, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Even though I can certainly see why uh, some Bucks fans might have been frustrated by the defense, but just purely from an entertainment value, I love the game. Giannis again continued his ridiculous run that he's on: thirty-eight points, ten rebounds, four assists. Zion himself had thirty-four points, eight rebounds, and six assists. And honestly, just watching those two get buckets at either end with the sheer force, with the sheer power that they attack the rim against multiple bodies. And let's be honest, against decent defenders, certainly Steven Adams one end on one end for the Pelicans and for the Bucks, you had Brooke and Giannis on, on most times. And, and a lot of the time, it, it really didn't matter who was there. Those two were going to be able to find a way to score. Yeah, and, you know, we, um, we talked about this earlier tonight on, on the postgame show that I was doing where... I know that fans are frustrated by the defense and the defense. I mean, I, I talked about this with our friend Eric uh, name the other day too, that I don't really know what to make of the defense yet. And I don't think any of us should that. I think it's going to continue to be a work in progress. We did see some minor things where I think we saw the bucks basically stop switching in the last three games. And I think that was, number of factors in play. I mean, number one, those three offenses that you played and the personnel on those teams 
in, uh, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Kings and the Timberwolves, you, you probably didn't need to, number one. But also, I think a component to that, too, was you just had to win, where I'm sure part of the conversation was, we're going to continue to work on this stuff, but let's just go back to what we did last year because we know we can comfortably execute that and won't screw up. So let's just stop this losing streak. We'll continue to weave this stuff in. And then tonight against a, a dynamic offense in the Pelicans and a team that really burns you on the perimeter in the first matchup, we saw the Bucks almost immediately go back to the opposite and start switching again. So I think it's just going to continue to be a work in progress for the defense. You still don't have Drew Holiday. But the other part of it is we really need to recalibrate how we view defense, too, in terms of production, because I think a lot of fans are still kind of stuck in the mindset of, well, if you give up 100-plus or 110, that's bad. And, I mean, what we're seeing is offenses continue to explode in the league. And this isn't me making an excuse for the Bucs. There were certainly some defensive shortcomings in this game. But 12 teams played tonight. Six of those 12 teams scored 120 points or more. And as you look at the, the, the season-long numbers, the amount of teams that are averaging 115 points a game is staggering that this is just the league that we're in now where you can't necessarily put a number out there and say good teams don't give up this many points. It's just possessions down the stretch where you need to come up with big stops, and that's what we need to point to for good defense. Yeah, I think the game the other night was a pretty good example of that, and Frank quoted these numbers. I'm just remembering this off the top of my head from what he said. I don't have it in front of me, but the Bucks did give up 112 points against the Minnesota Timberwolves, but uh, I think the defensive rating for that game was around 105. So obviously very, very good on on a night where you've still given up 110 plus points. And and look, you know, tonight, I wouldn't necessarily say that that was the case. I wouldn't necessarily say this was a strong defensive performance from the Bucs. But no doubt you're right. Right from the outset, they were switching. And certainly Eric Bledsoe was able to get the switch onto Brook Lopez on a number of occasions. They were trying to put Brook Lopez in screens. I don't mind that. The Bucs need to figure out if this is a, a, a sort of an approach from the opposition that they're going to be able to work through because they're certainly going to see it. And we saw on a few occasions earlier in the game, there was one possession in particular where uh, Lopez was a, a Bledsoe, sorry, was able to get the switch. And then Brooke was actually switching off ball to try and get himself back onto a Steven Adams or back onto a different Pelicans player. And sometimes that resulted in a guy like Dante DiVincenzo being caught on Zion Williamson. Then there was an early lob from Lonzo Ball on an exact example like that. So, look, this is a challenge. And to be honest, when you are playing a a guy like Zion Williamson, I think that all traditional methods or uh, data points that you use to determine whether it was a successful defensive performance kind of go out the window uh, regardless because of the type of player he is and the pressure he does put on you. And look, you know, full credit to Lonzo Ball. This was a guy that was, you know, a really sketchy three-point shooter when he's come into the league and he's become really consistent and he hit another yeah. six threes tonight but it's not only the three-point shooting of Lonzo Ball that puts you under pressure it's his passing ability and he's got fantastic chemistry with Zion Williamson so yeah I mean certainly there was some breakdowns I didn't necessarily think that the Bucks were all on a string as we've sort of been uh, come to know this season it's become a familiar sight uh, again, it's worth noting that, listen, this Bucks defense is going to be hard to judge as a whole without Drew Holiday. But I will say this. I'll say that I thought that Brook Lopez was pretty good tonight. And I know that he's become kind of a whipping boy uh, for criticizing the defense because 
Yeah, Brooke Lopez has always been slow. I don't necessarily think that he slowed down too much this year. I've said this a number of occasions. I think he's just been put in different positions, which perhaps just highlights his slow feet at times and the way that he moves and he's kind of lumbering. I mean, he's a humongous human. But I thought tonight his ability to stay in front of Zion, and yes, Zion had 34 points, but some of the finishing was simply incredible. Some of the tough putbacks that Zion had, I don't necessarily think that it was anything the Bucks did wrong. It was just pure brilliance from Williamson in those uh, aspects. And we saw late in the game, and you could say maybe it was a foul. I don't know. Zion, similar to Giannis, is one of those players where there's always so much contact that you could probably blow a whistle on every single play. But Brooke Lopez did, did get credited with the big block there, credited with three throughout the night. I thought he, had, uh, he defended Zion when he was coming at him with pretty good discipline. And to be honest, I thought sometimes Brooke actually got called for a, a couple of fouls there that I thought were pretty harsh. I thought he did a decent job. So I will say to this point, uh, credit to Brooke tonight. I thought he was pretty good and certainly late. Uh, came up with a couple of critical stops that the Bucks really needed. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, I mean, if not Brooks' best game of the season, it was one of you know, two or three that we can really point to where you can say, hey, Brooke really made an impact in this game. And, you know, like at least three plays come to mind with Zion, too, when you talked about just how incredible the finisher he was, where there's a number of occasions where it just seemed like, I don't know what he's doing here because the Bucks have this defended. And the shot ends up going in. So it, it, in many ways, this game too kind of felt like the Spider-Man meme come to life where we saw Zion and Giannis on the floor together. And we saw at least two plays where Zion was out there on the perimeter and you saw the Bucks do what opposing teams have done to them for years where you just say, okay, now we're going to sag back into the paint and almost build a wall and say, go ahead, take whatever you want from here. We're not letting you come towards the rim. And I mean, even the Eric Bledsoe component as well, where I, I know you tweeted about it with Eric Bledsoe's look to close the game, but more than that, not to speak ill of Eric Bledsoe, but the moment Stan Van Gundy with about two minutes left made the change and pulled out JJ Redick and put in Eric Bledsoe, I think a lot of people, if not all in this arena, breathed a sigh of relief. Yeah, Bledsoe finished four for 10 for the night. So he was four for nine at the time of taking that shot in the last 30 seconds that would have tied up the game. And remember, he hit seven threes against the Bucks last time. So certainly, um, you know, historically, I know people point and say, well, Bledsoe's not a great shooter, but uh, we've seen him hurt the Bucks so far this season. And overall, he's shooting, he is shooting up around 40% on the season. So he's having a fantastic shooting season. What is the cause for that? I don't know. Is it the fact that there's no fans in there? I'm not too sure. But thankfully, from a Bucks perspective, uh, he did miss that. Uh, I definitely want to talk about Dante DiVincenzo. And to be fair, we're probably doing him a little bit of disrespect that we haven't brought him up yet. Uh, Before I do, we'll talk about betonline.ag, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. I I don't know what the total points over would have been tonight, but these two teams eclipse 250 points, so uh, I'm not sure. I wonder where that line would have been, but you can find out that for every game at betonline.ag, which covers uh, NBA, college basketball, NHL as well for real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Just head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code locked on, bet online, your online sportsbook expert. 
We're covering everything you need to know about the Milwaukee Bucks, but what about the rest of sports now? The Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, You might see me on the Locked On Today podcast tomorrow. We've been doing these Locked On Now post-game little one-minute clips you may have seen some of those that I've been sharing on Twitter. But a big theme from tonight's game was Dante DiVincenzo, and for good reason. A career night for Dante. 24 points, 7 rebounds, 9 assists. He really filled up the stat sheet. 9 for 16 from the field, 4 for 7 from 3. We can get into the offensive stuff uh, a lot if we want, but certainly he came up with two huge plays down the stretch uh, that didn't necessarily relate to scoring the ball, but first on that really scrambled play from the Pelicans where they were down three. The Bucks just could not get the inbound. They had two shots at it. Giannis, first of all, had to take a timeout on what was probably a five-second violation. And then the second time, it felt like it was going to happen again. Chris Middleton lost the ball. I thought that the Pelicans were actually going to wrap him up a bit there. On those situations, there's always fouls. I mean, let's be honest. The player is always fouled. The whistle is rarely blown, and I, I kind of don't mind that. But the Pelicans get the ball. It's a mad scramble. Dante DiVincenzo slides in, and he was there. It was a legitimate charge. He was there for a long time. Brandon Ingram crashes into him. And then on the other end, a little bit before that, he came up with a huge offensive rebound as well. So not only the scoring, it was defense. Pretty much every aspect of the game. It's hard for me to not look at this, given the circumstances without Drew Holiday and DJ Augustine, which, by the way, congratulations to DJ and his family, a, a new little addition to the family today. But this was Dante's best NBA game, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to... I know the previous high was, what, 19, I think. And I know he's had some spurts like this. But this was the... This isn't meant as a knock on Dante, but this was really the first... Uh, almost complete game in a way that I can really remember from Dante where we've seen these games kind of pile up and especially this year where he might start and has a huge first half. Uh, I think one of the games against the Raptors earlier last week was one of those where he puts up something like 16 or so points in the first half, but then in the second half, whether it's usage or shots just not falling, the numbers really tail off. And it seems like those had kind of piled up this season, but this game, I, I, I know he had, uh, what, seven points, I think, in the second half, but it wasn't like he was out there missing shots, that he was playing within the flow of the system, and he was big. And, you know, we're all going to point to the charge, but the other play that you brought up with that offensive rebound was just as huge because it basically eliminated any chance at a two-for-one for the Pelicans and gave the Bucks that extra 14 seconds. And think about how many times we've seen the Bucks victimized by that very play where the Brooklyn Nets game earlier this season, it was essentially the same play, and the Nets turned it into a three-pointer where James Harden knew the shot was off, grabbed the rebound immediately, and they turned it into a Kevin Durant three. So here it's Dante just continuing to uh, – going back to what Bud has said for him about years, he makes winning plays without scoring the basketball. And I think if he can continue to build these things – I know we've talked about it before that the start he got off to this season, everybody was just enamored with it and pointed to the numbers and compared them to Bogdanovich and was you know, under the mindset of, well, maybe Dante DiVincenzo can do the same thing. And the reality is you don't need that. What you need is just these moments like this. And the shooting percentages that he's hitting at right now, 
that's what you need to say, look, when these shots open themselves up, we just need you to knock them down or be a consistent threat that you're going to make them. And that's what he's been doing here during this win streak especially. But really, the six games that he had to start the season, we point to and fell in love with the play. And then it kind of dipped off for, what, seven or so games. What he's done in the games since those first 15 or so to open the season has just been a model of consistency, I think. Yeah, just looking at the splits across the season for Dante so far. Uh, so December, as you pointed to, he was averaging 14 points and really got off to that hot start, had a fantastic opening night and, and really continued on from there for the first few games. Uh, through January's 14 games, he only averaged 7.8 points and he was going through that struggle. We saw the three-point percentage come right back. He only hit 29% of his threes for January. But I think now we're seeing a more controlled Dante DiVincenzo. Now, it is important to note that he's getting more opportunities. We should acknowledge that. We discussed the same thing with Giannis, and the same is happening with Dante. There's been no Drew Holiday. So the question for me is, where, does, where and how does Dante find that comfort level when Drew Holiday comes back into the lineup? Because so far... In February through 13 games, we know Drew's missed uh, 10 of those or 9 of those. These numbers would be prior to tonight. He was averaging 11 points, 5 rebounds. The 3.3 assists is really interesting to me because when we look at what stands out for Dante, those plays like the charge, those plays like the offensive rebound, that's kind of typical Dante stuff. He makes stuff like that happen. Is he known as a controlled facilitator, a guy that you can give the ball and he will either get to the rim and score, or he will find someone else? No, I I would not say that. I would not say that that's typical of what we know of Dante, but the nine assists and only one turnover tonight is huge, and that aspect of his game, playing with control and the finishing touches of his game is really the big addition for him that I think he needs to make to go from already being a valuable role player in the NBA to being a, a genuine starting caliber player. I think that that's the step he needs to take. It was funny, post game, I asked him, I said, what do you think you need to improve on? What is the area of the game that you think can help you go to the next step? And he said, well, I don't know. That's for you guys to discuss. I'm just trying to play basketball. So I guess that's what we are discussing here. And I guess that's my answer. Just the finishing touches because he, he's able to get to those spots really easily. It's just whether or not he can finish off those plays. And again, just to repeat, nine assists, only one turnover. That's very impressive. Yeah, it, it's impressive, and I, I think it's just the finishing at the rim, that if, if he can become more consistent at that, which is funny because that's basically all he did as a rookie, that that's where the majority of his shots were coming, and he was hitting them at a much higher clip. We've seen his efficiency there tail off this season, but the, the shooting at the rim has gone down, so you wonder how much that has to do with it as well. But we're seeing him attack the paint a lot more frequently now over the course of these last, what, 12 to 13 games when Drew Holiday's been out, and I don't think that's coincidental. So, I mean, if he can just – he doesn't even have to be elite at finishing at the rim and around the basket. If he can just continue to improve that and can remain a consistent outside shooter, that's going to be huge for this team. And, and the other thing that I stumbled upon when doing some research for a Courtside Live earlier today was I don't know if this is a thing here that we need to monitor – or if it's just purely coincidental. And I know, look, the, the individual plus-minus and individual defensive and offensive ratings aren't always the greatest barometer for success here and don't necessarily tell you the complete story. But among players that have played 20 or more games and average at least seven minutes per game in the fourth quarter, 
Dante DiVincenzo has the sixth highest offensive rating in the fourth quarter, and the five players in front of him are Rudy Gobert and the four best offensive players for the Brooklyn Nets. This has been one of the interesting points for me as we look at this team this season. I still think the top end of the Bucks roster, when you think about the best players um, defensively, is going to be able to lock teams down. When you think of Chris Giannis, Drew Holiday, uh, and then obviously Dante and Brooke there as well. And, you know, whatever lineups you have, you can, you can mix and match some of those names there. But I still just think the top end is really, really good. And that's why I guess I'm not as panicked as some have been over the last sort of, you know, month or so. And, and let's be honest, the defense at times has been terrible. And at times tonight it was terrible, but I still do have uh, a relatively optimistic outlook when I project this team ahead to the playoffs. Tomorrow on Locked On NBA, join Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers and Adam Maras of Locked On Nuggets for a wrap of the biggest stories around the league. Anthony and Adam bring you game recaps, weekend previews, and a weekly NBA power ranking you can't miss. Subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast today wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I guess, you know, we need to briefly touch on Chris Middleton here, and I want to finish up this podcast talking about Giannis a, a little bit more. Again, he had a highly entertaining uh, post-game as he has had basically uh, for the last week or so here. He's been in a very good mood. But Chris Middleton just quietly 14-24 to 24 from the field, 2-4 for four from 3, had another 31-point outing. Uh, he had 30 points a, a couple of games back as well. So he spoke himself about the rhythm that you know he's been trying to regain and he hasn't been necessarily happy with some of the open shots that he's been missing. But I think, again, uh, particularly in the fourth quarter, the interesting wrinkle that we're going to see the Bucks probably go to during the postseason as well. I think it's something that we've all wanted this team to do. A steady diet of Giannis and Chris Middleton pick and rolls where you can use Giannis. If he's going to roll to the basket, you know he's going to draw attention. But using Giannis as that screener really does free up Chris Middleton to walk into those mid-range baskets. And I know, you know we always talk about the mid-range, but as far as Chris Middleton, one of the best in the business at shooting those, and it's really a layup for him. And he was consistently knocking those down. And if the defender did take a step up towards him, he's now shown this year that he is much improved at finishing at the rim as well. And we saw him uh, knock down a couple of floaters when he did take that extra dribble, get a little bit closer to the basket. But overall, again, just a, a really underrated night for Chris Middleton where the most of the plaudits go to Giannis and Dante DiVincenzo. And then you look at the box score, and 31 points, seven rebounds, six assists. Uh, you know, I know Dante DiVincenzo was wearing the Chris Middleton all-star jersey post-game. I know we spoke about it on this show, and I wasn't necessarily shocked that he didn't make it just because of certainly the narratives that are sort of following this team at the moment. But this was an all-star performance from him again, and probably typical of Chris Middleton, that it was just such a quiet 31-7-6. and six. Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't shocked either that he didn't make the all-star team. But then the more you, you kind of looked at the numbers for the rest of the guys in the East, the more I became shocked and thought, you know, uh, how did he miss it? Where, I mean, just putting his numbers up against both guys from Boston, where the only thing both Tatum and Brown have over him is they score five more points a night. And it's a tough sell to convince me to take two Boston Celtics when it's a team that's below 500. But not to digress and take it down that path, but yeah, I wasn't surprised, but then became surprised the more you looked at the numbers, but also, you know, it's interesting that Chris talked about uh, what, after the Kings game or after the Timberwolves game, he talked about 
Drew Holiday getting closer to returning and where this team missed Drew Holiday, but where Chris specifically missed Drew Holiday. And I know this wasn't the first game where the Bucks said, okay, somebody else is going to run the point here. But I don't think it's coincidental that Dante DiVincenzo was basically that guy, that the offense was flowing through him a lot of the chunks of this game. And we saw Dante lead the team in assists as well. And Chris got to do a little bit more off the ball. And this was a game where he went off for 31 points. And we saw a similar thing against the Kings over the weekend where DJ Augustine was playing very well and Chris scored 32 points. And he talked about it after the Timberwolves game of, you know, with Drew here, whether or not Drew is a true point guard, he still has that organization and gets our offense set here and it allows me to play off ball. And that's where I really excel. And that's where I've been more comfortable. And that's, you know, the other thing about Drew or about Chris's numbers is, especially in the games that Drew Holiday's been out, we talk about, well, Chris is kind of going through some struggles. And it's not as though he's been playing bad. You know, it's just that his point production is down a little bit and his efficiency is down a little bit. But it's we're saying Chris is going through struggles because his numbers haven't been as eye-popping <laughs> in terms of the shooting percentage and efficiency as they were early in the season. So and the all-star discussion around it out, I think that's what hurt him too, is that, you know, there's a lot of talk for Tatum and Brown and they're scoring a lot of points. And Chris kind of went through a little bit of a slide where he wasn't shooting 50, 40, 90 and scoring 20 plus when the Bucks were on that five game losing streak. But now, and especially knowing it's getting closer and closer and, and who knows it could be Sunday with Drew Holiday back in the mix. I think Chris is going to have a huge second half. And if we just look at the last two years under Bud, He's a guy that has gotten better in the second half of the season with the point production going up. One of those years, I think it went up four or five points a game, first half versus the second half. And last year it went up two or three points. So I think he's going to continue to increase those numbers with the comfort, with the with things that the Bucks are asking him to do this year and with having Drew Holiday back and how much that opens things up for him. Yeah, Chris Middleton in February now, just to touch over 19 points per game, uh, around six rebounds, six assists as well. Uh, and his shooting is basically 49, 44, and, and 85. So let's be honest, despite having those couple of poor games that he had there, the efficiency is still at a pretty incredible level. And he's only really dropped a, a couple of points there as well. But the bad games do stand out particularly with Chris Milton, there's no doubt about that. And particularly when you're missing Drew Holiday and you do need him to step up. So look, we discussed that. I don't know when the voting was, but I think it all uh, played a part in a reason why uh, Middleton probably uh, missed out there. Uh, I mentioned Giannis and he did swap jerseys with Zion post-game. And uh, I mentioned that he was in a good mood. He was very happy and the Bucks are winning and there's no reason not to smile right now if you're Giannis, who is basically forcing his way back into the MVP conversation with sheer force right now with the way that he's playing. But I asked him about swapping the jersey with Zion, and I just said, why did you do it? And his response was uh, very, very good. It was classic. He said, there's a lot of value in jerseys. When I take a tech, that's $2,000. So now I have a jersey I can sell for a little bit more. If I don't sell it, I can give it to my kids, and they'll be able to sell it. And he did obviously clarify that he was joking there. But listen, he had high praise for Zion, and sometimes... When you ask Giannis questions about opposition players, sometimes he's a little bit reluctant to talk about how difficult it is to defend them or, uh, you know, I mean, the great players are great players, but sometimes he's so competitive that he doesn't like giving much away there. But he did admit, he said, listen, Zion is not a guy that you can defend one-on-one. You need multiple bodies. And then he spoke about his ability to have that quick, explosive second jump. And we did see Zion 
finish his own work a couple of times and get some of those putbacks there. And he actually said, it's someone we've never seen anybody like it. I, I've never seen anybody like this in, in the past. Giannis said that, so high praise for Zion. And listen, it's easy to say now that the Bucks won and they didn't get swept by the Pelicans. But, he, I mean, he is, he is just so fun to watch. I mean, he is re- absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and there was one of those plays, too, where I know we mentioned his, uh, his incredible finishing earlier in the show, but there's one of those plays where uh, those second leaps where he had a putback over Giannis where he came in behind yeah, him yeah. and got that, that I'm sure that was one of the plays where Giannis realized. And I, I'm sure a part of it too is, you know, we spent so much time comparing Zion to guys like Charles Barkley. And I think you just get hung up on the body structure and say, well, he kind of reminds you of this guy. But I mean, the comparison, it's obvious it's Giannis that the things that they do offensively and how basically indefensible they are around the basket that, even with shortcomings away from the hoop, they're still going to get these points where Zion, you know, had a, he, a quiet, almost 34 points. And we saw the same thing in the first matchup with these two teams where it, the more and more you see him, and especially now in Giannis, two chances to see him in the span of a month, I'm sure part of it kind of re- kind of resonates with him as well, where you just think, you know, this guy really reminds me of myself. And it's like any of us in all walks of life where you meet somebody that, you know, you hate to say younger because it's not like Giannis is old, but you meet somebody younger than you that just reminds you of yourself at that age or at that stage in your career. And you kind of take a shining to that person and, and follow what they're doing for their career. I'm sure there's some of that going on with Giannis and Zion right now. It was funny. Steve Ashburner, who a uh, longtime writer with NBA.com, and he actually came on this podcast uh, going back a little while as well. I tweeted, uh, I, I got a tweet from PSK3 uh, on Twitter who was just talking about the Bucks defending Zion and, and probably a, a little bit frustrated, which is completely understandable. Like I said, it was, it was difficult to watch at times. And sometimes when you have a guy like that that feels so unstoppable, it can be frustrating. And I basically said, well, I don't think height really matters when defending Zion in terms of the length and size of Giannis and certainly Brooke as well. And Steve Ashburner tweeted back at me and said, uh, my lead when the Bucks faced rookie Charles Barkley for the first time was uh, the, Mil- the Milwaukee Bucks aren't afraid of heights. They're afraid of wits. And I, and I, I thought it was a great line um, from Steve there. And, and you know, Zion is kind of the same thing. I mean, it's not the, the, the heights that you're concerned about necessarily like a Giannis in the length. He's just so strong and vertical. He, he's, his height, uh, his vertical jump is just so incredible that it's so tough to slow down. I'll tell you the other thing you missed in this game, Justin, was a classic TNT broadcast. We had some we had some crazy stuff going on. I'm sure you saw it on Twitter. Uh, Sam Merrill was called DJ Wilson at one point there. Uh, Chris Middleton was called Pat Middleton. And then at some point through the middle of the broadcast, we just had uh, we just had this this kind of stuff going on. And uh, I I think I'm not sure what was going on. Uh, someone was trying to call Marv Albert, tell him that his name's actually Sam Merrill. He's a rookie. I, I'm not sure. Uh, Chris Middleton's first name is Chris, not Pat. I don't know. Anyway, typical stuff. And I don't know if you really know this, knew this stat, and you weren't watching TNT, so maybe you weren't uh, you know, privy to this information, but the Bucks actually hadn't won a game this season. I think they were 0-10 when the scores were tied or they were losing after three quarters. So the Bucks finally 
got off that duck tonight. And the reason I am so aware of that stat is because Chris Webber said it literally 74 times within the 12 minutes of the fourth quarter. So incredible. Just, uh, just what happens when it's a national game and you don't get the local broadcast? Well, I mean, it's broadcasting 101, Kane, that I think we're all kind of taught that. When you find a number, just continue to repeat <laughs> it because who knows about the audience turnover. So just keep saying it and keep going to the well until you run out of water there. And the Zion thing, too, uh, I think our friend Ben Golliver coined the, the new term that we're going to have to use now with guys like Zion. For years and years, it was length, but now it's acreage that we have to look at for yeah. how do you defend these guys. Uh, yeah, I saw uh, – I assumed it's going to be an interesting rewatch when I do that on the league pass in a couple of days once it's clear there. But I, I started to see the mishaps with the names, and then I saw people tweeting about a telephone, and that's what I was – most looking forward to seeing uh, firsthand. Oh, it's good. It's definitely worth the wait. It was almost the highlight of the night for me. But uh, this, honestly, I, I tweeted this at halftime when the result was still obviously up in the air. But I said this was one of the most enjoyable games of the season, just purely from an entertainment value. There was a lot going on. And yeah, I mean, you know, when it, this game wasn't the Detroit Pistons, the 2004 Detroit Pistons, that's for damn sure. But it was enjoyable. Plenty of highlights and two of the most, in my books, entertaining players in the league going head-to-head. Uh, Justin, it's now 1.30, which means that we've got to the allotted half-an-hour time slot for this episode. I think it's well and truly past time that you get the hell out of there. It is, uh, it is now 1.30, but this building is still packed with people. So it is, uh, I mean, it's a great feeling that it feels like we're getting closer and closer to normal. We're seeing fans in the arena. There's people here besides me. We even saw a proposal in-game on, uh, on the Jumbotron tonight. So it feels like things are trending in a positive direction here. Next up for the Bucks, little Sunday afternoon action. So we're going to take the weekend off. And we'll be back after that game. Early start for me, 7.30, but that is a 2.30 p.m. tip. Uh, that's a national broadcast game there against the Clippers, who had a, a pretty disappointing loss tonight as well. So the Bucks pick up their 20th win of the season. They are in third still in the East, and those top three teams are just starting to separate a little bit. The, next, the Nets and the Sixers also won tonight, so the, the Bucks two games back of Philadelphia in first place at the moment. But this game is going to be a big challenge. I am really looking forward to it. And Justin, I, I have no doubts that we will be speaking again next week and possibly about this game. Sounds good. All right, that's going to do it. As I just mentioned, Bucks 20 and 13 beat the Pelicans 129-125. Everyone, enjoy your weekend in the lead up to this Sunday afternoon game. And we'll speak to you guys after. <laughs>